0: Let's turn together to Genesis. We'll bring the lights up so you can see what you're doing. we will be in uh, we 're going to cover a lot of different things let 's go to forty two I think a song like that is difficult to well it 's easy to get real into it you know because it 's kind of kind of does what we want songs to do you know like it 's it 's there but lyrically, I think there are times when we all struggle to really kind of declare that in a in a way that shows that we deeply believe that and there' are some ties. Together to what we're going to talk about out of the life of Joseph and the establishment of our relationship with Jesus. And so, if that song, if you celebrate that song and you are I mean, you were all like just worshiping and you were so um, full of joy to declare that, awesome. If you were kind of on the other end of the spectrum, then maybe, uh, you know, maybe this will be helpful as well. So it's just a kind of a two-week uh, series uh, coming out of the life of Joseph. It started at last week, and so you can check out that podcast if you want to catch up a little bit. Um, but last week was looking at the, the, um, the pain that Joseph experienced over the scope of, of the part of his life that we see in the Bible. And how he was, um, how he was able to process his way through the hurt that was caused by his family, um, and possibly even at times you know the the hurt that he maybe felt that you know God could have spared him from that, that, those kinds of things and 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 how we work through the the times when we are just wounded by by people, by our own decisions we're wounded sometimes just by the circumstances that life brings us that there's no one to blame for you know just kind of there. Um, and how and how we deal with those wounds in those kinds of ways tonight, uh, I want to look at the relational um, restoration that we see between Joseph and the very ones who hurt him. And there's for some of you, there's probably a, a great deal of resistance in even thinking about that. And so uh, I just I want to encourage you to to listen with some precision tonight. Um, if, if, if you can, because I don't think that every that I don't think that this is a blueprint for how every single relationship uh, should go in terms of, of what uh, everyone that has ever hurt you. You know, I don't think that every situation has to be plugged into this, you know, in the in the Bible, other other than what we see Jesus doing, everybody does some like some things incorrectly, you know, so we learn a lot from. From the things they do right and the things they do uh, that are not right so there's a there 's a kind of a story arc that, that I kind of want to lay out for us in the, in the next few minutes and and so what we see is we see Joseph uh, comes face to face with his brothers who um, who betrayed him, and we see kind of unfold these these three things so these are kind of be the three pockets of uh, Whatever. Points. That's enough. Huh. Of all the words. Okay, so these will be the three, kind of the three points. One will be, we see forgiveness, then we see reconciliation, and then we see restoration. Forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. Um, so let's kind of, kind of drudge through that a little bit. Um, so, uh, so within the first idea, before we look at some of these scriptures, uh, let me, let me t- just say a few words about Forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness may be one of the more misunderstood concepts in the world today, uh, just across the board, in the whole world. And then within the church world as well, we kind of drag some of those misunderstandings in uh, into things. Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. But we've all heard, like, man, you just got to forgive and forget, dude. Well, that's easy when someone cuts you off in traffic. You know, you can, you can... You can forget that and get over it pretty quickly, maybe. Some of you, some of you can't. Um, I've dr- ridden with some of you. I know that you can't. Um, but that, you know, those kinds of things, you know, that's fine. But when someone has really, really hurt you, you don't forget that. And so forgive and forget is not what forgiveness is about. That's a, that's a myth. Uh, forgiveness does not mean that you are, are, are able to look at someone and say, what you did to me is really no big deal. It's okay. That doesn't, that's not real forgiveness, you know. It's not giving them, a, a, like, permission to not feel bad about what happened. Um, and when you are seeking forgiveness from someone else, that's not what you're asking them to do either, is just say that it was no big deal. Um, it's also not, not us, uh, it's not our way of saying that, that what happened to us was, like, completely fair, you know. That we kind of deserved it somehow or whatever. And so forgiveness kind of has this vibe of just like learning to like shrug it off or just get over it and move on when that has nothing to do with it. God has not gotten over the death of his son in that regard. So where we learn true forgiveness is what we've been singing about, what Jesus has done for us. God has not forgotten that. He's not saying it's no big deal. He's not saying, oh, you know, it's cool. We'll we'll get on with it. No, he remembers every moment of of Jesus' substitutionary death for us. He also remembers every sin contributing to that, making that death necessary. And and he, he remembers all of it. And yet he doesn't hold it against us. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, how can I remember everything that went on and yet, we don't hold it against each other anymore. Tim Keller is a pastor in, in New York, and he says, he puts it like this. He says, forgiveness is refusing to make someone pay for what they did to you. That's way different than forgive and forget. So we learn forgiveness from, from Jesus to us. Then we apply that, those things from us to one another. And that is Really, really difficult to do. In Matthew 18, if you want to write this down, Matthew 18, 21 to 35, you don't need to turn to it, we're not going to read it, but Jesus, in talking about forgiveness, it's almost like he knows that as humans, we can't really understand that. So he, as he's just a brilliant teacher, so he goes to something we can't understand. We don't really understand the forgiveness due to the sin indebtedness that is there, we also can't understand the the forgiveness in terms of the emotional indebtedness when someone has hurt you or you've hurt them and there's this sense of owing something he says so he goes to money because we can understand money he tells a story about a king who decided he wanted to settle all of his accounts he had this one guy who owed him a ridiculous amount of money and so the king uh, there's there's this exchange goes back and forth and so but ultimately the king says uh, I'm going to forgive you of this debt so if you have a mortgage, let's say you have a mortgage with Chase Bank, if Chase Bank were to call you one day and, tell, and say, tell you what, uh, this debt is forgiven, it just goes away, you're, you're good to go, the house is all yours, or whatever, uh, that that would be forgiveness. It doesn't mean that no one pays the debt, it means that the one who who holds the debt is the one that's paying it. So if Chase call you and tell you hey your mortgage is that debt is forgiven uh, it means that you don't pay it means that they pay in the in the story the king pays the debt the money's still gone right the king absorbs that debt then the this guy goes out and has someone who owes him a little bit of money and he like won't forgive this other person and there's this it's a very interesting explanation but if we make the leap from financial debt being forgiven meaning that's that it is paid it is remembered. It is something it, it happens. But through the greater absorbing the lesser, okay, let's think of it in that terms, uh, that's how financial debt is forgiven. The sin debt that you and I have to Jesus, the wages of sin is death. Jesus comes in and he says, hey, this debt is going to be, your debt is going to be forgiven. But it's not that it just vanishes. It's that, no, it, it is transferred onto him and he absorbs that death for us. So we are debt-free, uh, shame is gone, uh, our chains are broken, all our sins are gone, all the things we've been singing, but not because they just vanished but because they went to Jesus. In the same way, there's this indebtedness that exists between people when you've hurt each other, and there is this in the back of your mind, like, you owe me, you owe me an apology, you owe me uh, whatever, whatever it might be. You, there's this indebtedness that's there, no one knows what to do with it. And what we need is we need that debt to be absorbed somehow. But Chase Bank has enough money to absorb your mortgage. Jesus is, like, has enough power to absorb the sin debt. But with us, between people who are all broken and being healed and restored, we're not to the point where we can just magically deal with the hurt that has come our way. So forgiveness looks different in every situation we have to understand that it is really an impossible scenario in our own strength, in our own situation, in our condition, this side of heaven. It is impossible for you and I to work through the hurts that come our way and to truly, biblically, as God designed, forgive one another. We cannot do it. So, in Genesis 42, we find our friend Joseph. And what has happened to him specifically is that he was the eleventh of twelve boys. He was dad's favorite. Uh, you might remember that his dad gave him a special like coat that had all these colors and stuff, and his other brothers didn't have that. And dad was just like really, really obvious in his favoritism to Joseph. Uh, Joseph, I guess, just didn't handle it well, as you can imagine. And so he was a you know he kind of got caught up in it a little bit and didn't have a lot of discernment and basically just angered his ten older brothers to the point where. They decided that we need to get rid of him. And some wanted to kill him, and some wanted to uh, just like, leave him for animals and stuff. And then they wound up selling him to some traveling like merchants who were on their way somewhere. Um, and so imagine you're 17, you're dad's favorite, but, you're, but all your siblings hate you, all but one are older than you. You're out in the middle of a field, and you're hearing them discuss... Do we murder him, or do we sell him, or do we just leave him for dead? And so they, you know, work through their decisions. They decide to sell him. So you're sold, and so imagine you're 17 years old, you're riding away in a, in a carriage of some sort, and you're in there, and you're looking through the bars, and there's all your brothers counting the money that they sold you with. Like, you're a human trafficking victim in this, in this situation. And so... These merchants go to they go to find their way to Egypt. And through this whole string of events, Joseph, uh, because of how God has gifted him and the favor of God on him, uh, Joseph goes from being uh, just like brought there as someone who was bought and sold to being the second in command over all of Egypt. And a part of that is because he, uh, God has gifted him to interpret dreams. Uh, God gave Pharaoh a dream and he didn't understand it. They brought in Joseph, they're like, this kid, he, really, he, get, he understands dreams really well, and he was right. And so the dream was seven years of prosperity in the nation, and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph just kind of spoke up and said, here's what you need to do. For seven years, you need to stockpile all of the crops for the, during the prosperous seven years, so that during the seven years of famine, you're able to ration the food out and keep your nation alive, keep yourselves alive. And so at this point in the story, Joseph is in charge of all of the food distribution for Egypt and all the nations around there because word got out where there is no food anywhere else. There's food in Egypt because they were smart and they stored it up. And so Joseph is there, and he's dealing with all these folks. And one day, these ten jokers walk in, and it's his ten brothers. It's been 20 years. They don't recognize him. Uh, and, and why would they, you know, they haven't seen him in a long time, but also he's the, like, the commander of this whole thing. It, at first, when you first read it, you're like, how could they not recognize their own brother? But a lot of you look different at 37 than you did at 17, right? And uh, you would ne- it would not even be on your radar at all that he would be in this position, and so... Um, so we have this, this moment and some things coming up. So in the first point, like within the forgiveness category, there, let me give you three things that I think really help Joseph under, like work through the relational forgiveness that has to happen. Uh, the first one, you can just write the word Jesus. Now We know it's Old Testament and that kind of stuff. But this, Jesus is the most important thing that helps Joseph work through uh, forgiveness look at, look at 42 verse 18 on the third day Joseph said to them do this and you will live for I fear God alright just, just that one verse his brothers come in and they're like we're here we, we have no food we heard that you have food can we have some food and Joseph he, he recognizes them they don't recognize him and he goes into this whole thing accusing them of being spies that they have come from another land to identify the weak points in, uh, in Cairo, I guess, I don't know, in, in Egypt, where the Pharaoh is. And he accuses them of being spies, and they say, we promise we're not spies. And so he has them detained for a few days. And he brings them back in, and he has this plan uh, that we'll talk about in just a second. But he says in verse 18, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. Not fear as in he's terrified of God, but fear uh, in the Bible has this, this tie to like a deep respect and reverence. And knowing your place. And understanding that God is the sovereign, holy uh, one who guides the universe along. And so Joseph, probably after having some time, a couple of days to think about it, and I would assume pray about it, has this respect for God. And you know what I thought about the other day? I was like, he, in this moment, he had a choice. He could forgive them, or he could enact revenge upon them. He's a powerful dude. He could have had them tortured. There's all kinds of things he could have had done to them as repayment. So the antithesis of forgiveness would be, I'm going to make you pay for what you did. He could have gone that route. But he didn't. And I believe that this verse tells us why. Because of his respect for his God. Jesus is very clear to us um, in Matthew 18. That involving him in the the resolution of our conflict is the most important thing about us resolving conflict. There's nothing that's more important than bringing him into it. So when he's talking and he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. He's not talking about a worship service. He's talking about when two or three people who are at odds with each other, there is, um, there's been pain inflicted, you're, you're hurt, so there's some sort of tension that's there. Where two or three are gathered, I'm there with them. He says, involve me in your conflict resolution, and I will make a difference. So maybe when Joseph saw him walk in, again, I'm just speculating, maybe everything came rushing back to him. You ever have someone who hurt you and you haven't seen them for a long time and then you, you see them or you, you see him, something pops up on Facebook or you, you even hear someone that has their same name, you know, and it just like, all this, it just starts flooding back. There's no telling what he thought when those dudes walked in. But maybe after three days of thinking and probably praying and fearing God and, and involving God in this, it made a difference. You cannot absorb the hurt that has come to you on your own. You can't. As awesome as you are, you can't do that. Especially, especially with these deep hurts. You, know? you are not, you, you, it requires divine intervention. And Jesus, who has forgiven us of our indebtedness to him, is no longer holding that against us. Remembering everything, he's not holding it against you. And he comes to you and says, hey, as the one who is like the supreme, sovereign master of forgiveness, how about you let me teach you how to handle this little piddly thing. As the king who had someone in owing him millions of dollars, and he f- absorbed that debt. He paid the debt says, hey, how about you help me go and figure out how you can relieve the debt of those from your own life. So bringing him into it. And a lot of people do not pray and invite Jesus in when it comes to conflict resolution. And perhaps that's why it feels like we're treading water in our pain and our hurt sometimes. So that's the first point. Just Jesus. The second thing in verse 21 of that same chapter, the second point would just write the word honesty. Look in 21. It says, uh, They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. What does that mean? Here's what what's happening. Joseph tells them the plan and they begin to talk amongst themselves. And they're basically being like this happened because of what we did to Joseph a long time ago. Like there's this weird like thread of karma that runs through this whole story and I almost preached all about that but let's just karma is fake, okay? There it is. There's the whole sermon. Okay. So they are, they're talking amongst themselves and they're like, man, we messed up 20 years ago and now this is happening and you know, God's repaying us, that kind of stuff. But Joseph, he understands what they're saying. And he has an interpreter there and stuff uh, to kind of like help them to kind of continue the ruse about it. But he knows what they're saying and they're having this discussion. They're saying it's because of what we did. Verse 22, Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, which was a part of the plan. So Joseph hears them and and they're saying it's because we sinned against Joseph and I told you we shouldn't have done that and I can't believe this and now there's a reckoning and and that's just one of those moments I referenced last week where he like, has to step away and just weep. So the second point, the first point is Jesus. The second point is honesty. It, it, it had to be incredibly cathartic for him to hear them acknowledge that they were wrong. Imagine 20 years of all that stuff built up and then you get to hear them say, we messed up. We should not have done that. And now we're paying the price. And even with that threat of karma, and even with Joseph's own dishonesty in the situation, there has to be this transparent admission of guilt, of regret, of confession of sin. That has to happen. So within this topic of forgiveness, that is a very important moment. And sometimes that's what's holding things back. So if there's a part of you that really is just like, man, if they would just admit what they did was wrong, it would help me so much. You're not a weirdo if that's how you feel about it. If you're sitting there feeling that way and you have your foot on the brakes in this forgiveness process and you're saying, I'm not budging until they do this. You know what you need to do? You need to back up to step one and see what Jesus has to say about it. It's not necessarily a requirement, but man, it helps a lot. And this point might be more, it might be more for those of you who are are the offender in a situation than the offended. If you've done something to someone and things are still weird, if you have not been honest with them, you need to be. It doesn't matter how they receive it, it doesn't matter, all the kind of things, you need to be honest with them. Honesty is a part of the forgiveness process of working through that. It is a really big deal. So you have to be honest with someone else. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with your God. So you can't skip step one and jump right to this one. Step one leads to this one. There being a transparency. And, and Jesus will help you know what to do with, with someone who is unrepentant. That's a mystery, right? What do we do with that? Well, he knows. Believe me, he deals with unrepentant people all the time. He knows what to do with them. The third, third thing within this first point. The last two points are real fast, I promise. Uh, write the word testing, and then put a, like, a, like a slash, and then put demonstrating. Because I couldn't figure out which one I wanted to use, so I just used them both. Testing slash demonstrating. Um, if you back up to verse 18, it kind of fills in the gaps a little bit. It says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. If you look over in forty-four, chapter 44, 1-5, so they go, they go and they come back, and it's like this whole thing, right? In 44, then he commanded the steward of his house, um, he's, he's sending them back out in this. He said, fill the men's uh, sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with the donkeys. Uh, they had gone only a short distance from the city. And Joseph said to his steward, up Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Both of those passages, they might seem a little bit random, but here's something really important that Joseph does. In the three-day time of him fearing God and trying to figure out what to do, he comes up with this plan to test them. They need to demonstrate their repentance, and this is a weird point to make, so I'm just going to acknowledge it, because in some ways, like who are you to make someone else prove that they are really sorry? You know Who are you to be the judge of that? Who determines that? I believe that there are times when, when it's, not, it's not that Jesus is leading you to withhold forgiveness for someone, but a part of the process is Jesus, catch this, Jesus helping us see that things really are different now. There are times when Jesus helps us look at what is being demonstrated and say, you know what? That was a long time ago. And you were all different people then. And a lot of things have changed. Look, there's a sincerity there. He tests them so that they would demonstrate something really important. So they go and, and later on you know they, they realize that there's a silver cup in the bag that they have and uh, and there's, and they 're confessional about it they're very honest about it, and that demonstration of honesty had to like fit something together in joseph 's heart and in his mind and so the, the the mixture what we see in this story of Jesus and honesty and a testing or demonstrating of their sincerity. You push all that stuff together and Joseph in chapter 45, he just is just gushing with emotion and love and confession and all this kind of stuff. There's this moment of reconciliation that we'll look at in just a second. But before you can reconcile with someone, there has to be forgiveness that's there that I'm refusing to make you pay for what you did, or they're refusing to make you pay for what you did, or however that needs to work. But please, just hear me, hear me say this in a way that... Uh, let me just be very very plain and honest with you. For The three things that we see in this story, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. The first one has to happen. Like, as a Christian, Jesus is very clear... That the forgiven do not withhold forgiveness. It's not how it works. It is the gospel. It is, it is like reenacting the, his goodness to us, to one another. It's, it's us not being that guy in the story who was forgiven this massive debt by the king, but yet holds this minuscule debt over someone else. There's a consistency that's there. That first thing has to happen. Reconciliation does not happen in every single situation all the time, across the board. And restoration doesn't happen either. So in some cases, this whole process needs to unfold in a beautiful way. There are other times, particularly with abuse, where you can forgive your abuser, but you do not need to reconcile with your abuser. And you don't need to be restored to your abuser. Now, who determines abuse? And that's kind of, well, go back to step one of part one, which is involving Jesus. Jesus determines the course, okay? But you just need to know that, that there are some relationships that will not be whole again until the new earth. And you need to be okay with that. And you need to know that Jesus is okay with that. And so if you're here and you're, you're applying this to someone who has abused you or someone you know of who is abused and you're trying to help them out or however, however that situation works, do not hear me saying that that absolutely has to happen all the time. Hear me saying that the first one, according to Christ, has to happen. And you can forgive them and they not even know it. Is that possible? Well, yeah. Yeah. So forgiveness, think of it like this. Forgiveness is you and Jesus. Okay? Reconciliation is you and the person looking at each other. Rest, uh, restoration is you and the person walking side by side together into whatever's next. What has to happen? You and Jesus has to happen. Reconciliation, he's the one that determines how and what that should look like, or if that should look like. And then restoration is the same thing. So, uh, let me close this first part. Let me tell you the two last parts real quick. Just know this. As New Earth citizens, we need to know that everything one day is going to be okay. And Jesus will help us know how okay it needs to be today. So one day, everything just as it should be. Today, what should that look like? Only he knows. He's the only one. So, perhaps, in your case, or in the things that are going on with you right now, you don't need to move past this first one, but for the sake of a, uh, a sermon that I've worked on. Let's move to the next one, next two real quick. The second one is reconciliation. Look in chapter 45. If Forgiveness is, is between you and the Lord. Reconciliation happens you looking the other person like in the eye. And you're reconciling. So in 45, uh, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. They came near, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you, you sold into Egypt. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say, uh, he like leave that part out. He's like, I'm your brother. You sold me. Guys, you sold me. So, if you're buying into the myth that forgiveness means telling someone what you did to me is okay, here's, here's further contrary proof. He tells them, you wronged me in this way. Verse 5, he says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years, in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Look over in chapter 50. He relocates his brother and all their families and their father, all of them into Egypt. His father has passed away. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brother, your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came down and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Reconciliation is where you look someone in the eye and you speak the words of the gospel over the situation that is between you, over the tension and the hurt that is there. You are honest. You confess. You repent. You acknowledge whatever needs to be acknowledged. You look them in the eye and you are completely... uh, Trusting yourself to the goodness of God that He's led you to that point. It's incredibly important to say you're sorry, and it's incredibly important to say that you were wrong. We need to we need to hear that. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, we we hear the truth of the gospel and we confess with our mouths. We say it. I'm a sinner who is separate from you because you are the holy God. And Jesus has come to to absorb that debt and to escort me back into right relationship with you. You say, I'm a sinner. I need a redeemer. Jesus, you are the redeemer. Will you please forgive me and bring me into your kingdom? And he says, yes. That is a dialogue that happens. Reconciliation is not assumed. Reconciliation is not a text message. Reconciliation is two grown people looking each other in the eye and having a conversation. Joseph and his brothers had a dialogue. You and Jesus, if you're a Christian, had a dialogue. So you and the people who have hurt you or you've hurt them, however it needs to work, sometimes you just got to talk it out. And then maybe hug it out and cry it out or laugh it out, or whatever it out that you need to do. There needs to be verbalized assurance that the ground is level again. We see it in chapter 45. His brothers got nervous later on after their dad had died that Joseph was going to turn on him or something. So he just said it again. That verbal assurance that, hey, we're square. Everything is fine because Jesus has absorbed the debt. Jesus paid for the sin that created the whole weirdness in the first place. So Christian to Christian, you're able to come together and say, well, this happened between us. This is a reason that Jesus came and died. And so uh, because he has saved the both of us, let's talk through the hurt and let's get to the bottom of this and let's get on with it. Now, Christian to non-Christian, that's uh, obviously a, a very different situation. Which I go back to point one of point one, that Jesus has to tell you what to do with that. Individual to group, that's a, a, another thing. Family members, that gets weird sometimes. You know, siblings, like, all that kind of stuff. It's all weird, so I go back to that first point. But reconciliation is this, this verbal assurance. It's a verbal uh, reenacting of the gospel between two people. And then the assurance comes that the ground is level, because Jesus has made it level. Okay. The third thing is restoration. We um, and Go back to 45 real quick, because we need to, to see what he does. Look at 45, verse 9. It says, Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. First, look at chapter 47. Chapter 47, the title is, in my Bible, it says, Joseph's family settles in Goshen. He brings them in, he settles them in the best land that Egypt has to offer. He brings him to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is like, what do you guys do for a living? And they tell him, he's like, alright, i got some jobs for you. He meets Jacob, who's the patriarch of of this family. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Think about this. Jacob, as in like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jacob um, is blessing the Pharaoh. And the story, as it plays out, you know who ends up enslaving all of Jacob's great-great-grandchildren or whatever? That dude. Well, not him, but his kids or whatever. There's this reversal of blessing. And so Joseph, in, rest, in restoration, forgiveness has happened between him and, and God. Reconciliation has happened between him and his brothers. And now they're side by side and they're learning how to walk out this new normal. Learning how to remember everything that has happened up until this point, And yet learning how to not hold that against each other. Restoration is constantly happening. Forgiveness has happened, but you're kind of always working through it. Reconciliation may happen, need to happen from time to time, but restoration is like, okay, how do, we, how do we go now? What do we do now? Now that Jesus has brought us to this point, what do we do with it? So he blesses them. He takes care of them. He's vocal about it when he, when he needs to be. But that's only something God knows how to do. Our God is a God of restoration. You and I needed to be forgiven, and we need to be reconciled relationally to God. And we need to learn how to live in this new normal situation. So what we see are these three of the... They're not the only like pillars of the gospel. Okay, There are more. But three massively important pillars of the gospel here. So to understand how it's supposed to look between you and someone else, we have to go back to the starting point. Which is, what does it look like between God and us? When we understand that... We're, we're driven into this, even though it means sometimes, like, messing with all these, like, emotions that we've put in a compartment and sealed the lid and put it in the back of the mental shed, you know. But Jesus says, you are forgiven, therefore you don't withhold forgiveness. That's not how it works. That the gospel is one uh, that lives out this process. And so when we are faithful and we pursue that and we dig into that, we don't run away from it, but we run to it because we trust Him. It's filled with goodness and grace. And we learn so much more about His, his forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration of us through figuring out how incredibly difficult it is with other people. And there is no sin that has happened between two people that is of greater, that is, that is greater offense than the sin toward a holy God. There isn't. And that's a bold statement, because there's some terrible things, terrible things that all of us in this room have experienced. And so Jesus is the master, sovereign, designer of this whole process, and he looks at you and says, hey, that thing that happened between us, I can help you figure out what that should and should not look like and how it should go with people around you as well. So I don't know where it meets you. I know I say that a lot at the end of this stuff. I don't. But he does, and this is where he's had us the last two weeks. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a little bit, not in light of of the process and how it plays out between people. We're going to sing in light of the process that's already happened between us and the Lord, because that is the starting point for us. So if you would stand. I thank you for listening patiently. I know I've probably like 19 sermons in this one sermon so I appreciate that but um, if you walk away with nothing else let's walk away with the fact that um, we're called to reenact the gospel interpersonally with each other if we keep that in mind then it helps us know how to navigate through this stuff and remember who the architect is of all this so how about you uh, how about you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just ask won't you just ask him him being jesus to um help to help you see this process. Being uh, played out in in your life, like how you've already been through this with him, how he has looked at you, and he has seen your sin against him, and how he has seen the the debt created. And how rather than making you pay that debt, he decided to forgive that debt and absorb that debt by sending his son for you. That he could have made you pay it, but because he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, He came up with another plan that cost Him cost Him more than we will probably ever realize. And ask Him to to help you to understand that that kind of forgiveness of your personal debt to Him. Think about how he, um, he didn't just absorb the debt. But at some point he sought you out with the gospel and looked you in the eye. And he offered that relational restoration, that reconciliation between the two of you. That he looked at you and said, yes, you were wrong. But remembering every single bit of it, I no longer hold that against you. And in fact, I want you to be a part of my family now. I want to adopt you into my family. I want to. I want you to be a part of everything I'm about. I want you to be a part of me. The, the fact that as Christians, he looks us in the eye says everything is fine now between us your sin was terrible but his grace is greater and now in that third kind of phase now you're being restored you're learning to be who he truly made you he's walking side by side with you he's in you around you ahead of you behind you he's you're fully uh, immersed in him and his goodness, and he's teaching you how to live with this new normal, free from all that other stuff, and learning how to live as one who is forgiven and reconciled. But that's what he's doing with you. And if you're here and you're thinking through that and you're like, yeah, that all sounds really foreign to me, Jesus holds that out to you, that invitation to be forgiven and reconciled to him and restored. That for Christians in this room, that's what you've been through, but maybe if that's not you, maybe that's just that's where you are now. Just know that that invitation is never closed to him. And Let's just spend the next few minutes in prayer and then we're going to sing, sing some prayers of gratitude and acknowledging how he has cared for us in this way. And then Taylor will come and close us.